Amen. All right, well, let's open to Revelation. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 2. We're making our way through. We're on the second chapter now. Praise the Lord. Somebody was just telling me that they are, what are, the, what are they preaching through? Do you remember what that pastor said at that luncheon? He's preaching through something right now. Can't remember what he said, but he said he has been preaching, I think, for four months, and he was in verse number four, or verse number three, or something like that. I can't remember. It was something ridiculous to me. I don't know. It's it's good. The Bible's got all kinds of stuff, so you can preach forever. But but I was it was uh, boy, it's going to take him a while to preach through that book. <laughs> you thought I was bad. <laughs> all right. Revelation chapter two. We're going to look at verses one through seven today. So we'll go ahead and read through those verses, get an overview, and then we'll look at those verses more in detail. Verse number one says, Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. And has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. <coughs> but this thou hast that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. All right. Well, we're looking at verses 1 through 7 here, and as we concluded chapter 1, we observed our Lord standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, or the seven churches of Asia Minor, and the significance of these seven churches can be seen in the chart in our notes there on the front page. Uh, this is kind of three views of these churches. And I believe there's truth in all of these views. Um, I, uh, well, we'll talk about it as, as we go. But uh, first we see the practically viewed um, to the seven literal churches. Uh, Ephesus is uh, some call, sometimes called the formal church. This is all, by the way, from, uh, from uh, Philip's. A commentary called Explaining uh, Revelation. Uh, and so the, the formal church, and we see a shifting uh, its love, and that's what he's talking about there. Then Smyrna, the faithful church, uh, fragrant when crushed. Uh, Pergamos, the faltering church where Satan dwells. Uh, Thyatira, the false church, Rome rule with an iron fist. Sardis, the fruitless church, has a name but are dead. Uh, Philadelphia, the fruitful church, the church of the open door, and Laodicea, the fashionable church, neither cold nor hot. Uh, then we see the perennial viewed. Uh, this is, means the perennial, as we like perennial flowers that come back year after. Let's see, are perennial or annual? They come back every year after year. Perennial, right? Okay, I thought that was right, but then I doubted myself right when I said it. Annual, you have to plant annually. There we go. Uh, but perennially viewed, in other words, it's a continual view throughout all the ages of the churches. You can see these churches in, in every generation, um, addressing conditions relevant to the local churches in all ages. First of all, Ephesus, the issue of orthodoxy, sound doctrine. Smyrna, the issue of persecution. 
Pergamus, the issue of clericalism or separation of the, cler of the clergy. Thyatira, the issue of, uh, let's see if I can get this word right, Sac uh, sacerdotalism. There we go. Uh, it's a system emphasizing priesthood. Uh, Sardis, the issue of liberalism. Philadelphia, the issue of revivalism. Laodicea, the issue of materialism. And all of those issues you can see in all of the ages, uh, which is uh, why some people view that these things are uh, just applied to all uh, ages and, uh, and such. Then there's prophetically viewed churches representing a period of time. There are those, uh, those that really emphasize that this is the main purpose of these churches. Uh, and that would be the Ephesus early church. Uh, they were purposed. Uh, they were uh, apostolic. This was the apostolic to post-apostolic age, uh, 35 to 105 AD. Then Smyrna is the persecuted church. Uh, myrrh is a, pic a picture of that age. Uh, in the pre-Nician age, 54 to 312 A.D. Pergamos is the patronized church. Um, it's uh, much marriage. I'm not sure what he means by that. I was going to look that up to see, but I forgot to. Uh, it's the Neocene age uh, to the post-Nician age, 312 to 500 A.D. Thyatira is the papal church, odor of affliction, medieval age 1, uh, 500 to 1000 A.D., Sardis, uh, that's the papal Protestant church, brotherly love to middle, medieval age. That's supposed to be two. It's supposed to be Roman numeral two. Uh, and dark ages from 1000 to 1600 uh, AD. Philadelphia is the practical church. Uh, that's uh, known as brotherly love. That's during the Re Reformation or the revival age from 1500 to 1914. Laodicea, uh, the passive apostolic church the people's rights, uh, age, or the modern-day age, 1914 to the rapture. Uh, this is from Phillips explaining Revelation. And so uh, I, I, don't put a, I don't put a ton of stock, and I don't think anybody can 100% uh, uh, say that this is definite application to each of these ages, uh, but I, I can see the similarity as you look at those ages and study the history of those ages. You can see where that kind of fits. Uh, but I think there is truth in all ages to each of these churches, and there was definitely written to a definite church um, there. Um, verse 1, it says, Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now the church of Ephesus is the first church mentioned in verse number two. The city of Ephesus was an urban city of the Roman Empire, a cosmopolitan city of various classes of people. I was going to put some pictures up here, but I didn't put them in the sermon, I guess. I forgot. Uh, the population was probably somewhere between 250,000 to 500,000 people, uh, and uh, it's going to be a very large city. Uh, it was the location of the Temple of Diana, or the Temple of Artemis, depending on if you were Greek or Roman, uh, one of the seven wonders of the world. Um, the church at Ephesus was a center for world evangelism during the ministry of Apostle Paul. Many missionaries went out of this area, uh, and the city is, uh, was not an easy place for a church to be. With so much uh, paganism and materialism and immorality and idol worship all around them, uh, there would have been much persecution for the church during this age. And yet it was a church that grew and planted other churches and sent out missionaries. 
And so it was quite the, it was quite a, the church there. Uh, and God planted this church in this location in this city for a reason. It was, ne- it was much needed in this area because there was so much falsehood being taught in that area. It was the only church to receive letters from two apostles, at least from the Bible, uh, Paul and John. And Paul had founded the church, then left it in the hands of Priscilla and Aquila. They were later joined by Apollos, a powerful preacher whom uh, didn't quite completely understand, the Bible says, and uh, the truth uh, or the word of God. And uh, Priscilla and Aquila were able to come alongside him and help him. Uh, And then on his third missionary journey, Paul returned and ended up spending almost three years ministering there in Ephesus. Later, Timothy pastored the church. And some believe that uh, John had been the pastor here when he was arrested and sent into exile to the island of Patmos. Uh, There's no biblical definite uh, description of that, but historically and traditionally, that's what uh, many believe. Um, If he did, uh, he may have only been there just recently, uh, recently arrived before they arrested him. But uh, many of the first generation of the church, this church had been martyred. And Christ gives his message to this church. And to each church that he addresses, Christ reveals himself in ways that are unique to that church's context and the specific problems. Here he reveals himself as the one that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And it had been uh, about a decade or more since its founding, and they needed to renew their love that they had first had for Christ. And they still looked to Christ as the head. They were in the middle candlestick. And uh, then most scholars believe that the stars and angels refers to the pastors of the churches that were in his hands. Uh, But the overwhelming characteristic of the church is that the church had lost its first love. We see that in verse number four here. And this church is no longer red hot for Jesus. The furnace was still there, but the fire had gone out. And uh, so we see, first of all, uh, Roman number one, the reputation of the church. He says, I know thy works. Verse number two, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. We see some things, three, especially three characteristics given here of this church in these verses. First of all, it was a, uh, a caring church, letter A. It was a caring church. Uh, this church was characterized by works. Uh, they did a lot of works for Christ. Uh, they were serving. Uh, they were a hard-working church and fervency. The word labor there uh, uh, means a uh, labor to the point of exhaustion. So they certainly weren't a lazy church. And uh, their labor was a labor of love, much like the Thessalonican church. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.3 says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love. Same word, by the way, uh, in the Greek. And uh, labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and Father. So like the th- church at Thessalonica, the church here in Ephesus was a hardworking church. Uh, verse 3, continuing on, it says, And hast born... And hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Uh, the word toil means uh, another form of this word. It means to work uh, to the place of exhaustion as well. And this was not a lazy church by any means. In fact, many Bible teachers believe that the uh, that most of the other churches of these seven churches that are mentioned were planted by this church. 
and, and at least through the same missionaries and outreach from this church. Um, then he says that, he has, they, that they have patience. Uh, there's plenty of work, and perhaps maybe the patience is a result of no, uh, no definite results coming or possibly patience through persecution. Uh, and whatever the case that they, they have patience, the reason they have patience uh, is a characteristic that Jesus is recognizing in this church. And Ephesus could not have been an easy place to have a church, as I mentioned earlier, or to raise a godly family. Uh, and a lot of worldly influences and evil influences there. Yet the church remains steadfast. And you know, I praise the Lord that we're seeing growth in our church. But whether we see growth... Uh, and results or not, we need to be steadfast, amen? And we need to keep going. And God's will is that we do the will of God from the heart. Uh, like Ephesians 6, 6 says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. And we're not here to, to do the work for Christ just to see results or get our encouragement to do work for Christ because we see results uh, or numbers. We do the work for Christ because we love the Lord. Amen? That's what keeps you going. Because if we have a difficult time, if we have a, uh, a, a time of non-growth, we'll get discouraged if we're not doing it for the right reason. We're doing it for selfish reasons. We'll get discouraged and we'll quit. And so we don't do it for the results. We do it for the love of Christ from the heart. Uh, this was a caring church. Secondly, it was a contending church. Verse 2, last part of verse 2, it says, And how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Down in verse 6 he says, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And so they, they test the truth, and they fight for the gospel. They fight for the truth. They don't let false teachers come in and stay. And they uh, stick to what the Word of God says. The Nicolaitans uh, were a group of uh, people that came in. Their name means ruler of the people. Uh, the complete word study dictionary of the New Testament says, an ancient sect whose deeds were expressly and strongly reprobate. And so we don't know a whole lot about them. Uh, the New Testament is really silent about defining who these people were or what they did. Uh, but an early church father, Irenia, states that they led lives of unrestrained indulgence in his book Against Heresies, book 1, chapter 26. And so uh, that's not a biblical reference. However, it gives us a historical view of what these people were like. And so teachers that came in with unre unrestrained indulgence doesn't sound like a good group, does it? And this church stood for what's right and stood against it. And uh, they stood against evil and apostasy. And Paul had warned them when he was with them in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 through 30. He says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own self shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. He said people will come in from without and try to uh, the, be wolves in sheep's clothing. He said, but also in your own group, men will arise and try to draw people away to, to falsehood. And sure enough, heresy soon began to invade this church. 
But this church stood for the truth. And the Corinthian church allowed evil. But this church did not accept every apostle that came, but they tested the apostle against the word of God. And they practiced 1 John 4, 1, where it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And uh, we need to be careful not to be seduced by false teachers who bring doubt to the word of God and try to say, well, that's not really what that means. And you really shouldn't take that literally. You should just, it's all figurative and things like that. And many people try to make figures out of everything in the Bible. And uh, it can get to real dangerous things. There was this guy on the radio for years, uh, family radio, Harold Camping was his name. I don't, think, I don't know if he's on the radio anymore or not, but uh, he preached for years. And he, he predicted that the Lord was going to come back in a certain year. And uh, all the way up to that the certain date that he said was going to come, nothing happened. And he went into his study. He's like, I don't understand how I got it. I don't know how I got wrong. And he came out of his study and said, oh, I got the date wrong. I misfigured something. It's actually this date. And uh, years later, and, and uh, he, he proclaimed it, put up billboards everywhere. The Lord's coming back on this date. The Lord's coming back on this date. And uh, it came to that date, and it was gone. You know, He said, uh, news showed up at his door. and said, so I see you're still here. <laughs> what happened? He said, I, I got to give him credit. He stood there and talked to the, talked to the news. He said, I, I don't understand it. He goes, I was sure that this was right. He goes, I'll just have to keep studying the word. But he was, he was famous for, for symbolizing everything. I mean, if it didn't fit his agenda, it was a symbol. Uh, you need to be very careful of that. And uh, God, God doesn't give us a, a book of symbols that give us the truth. He gives us the truth. And uh, be very careful. Now, are there symbols in the Word of God? Yes. Uh, where you cannot take the Word of God completely, literally, literally then yes, it is a symbol. Uh, but take the Word of God literally where you can. And uh, we have to be careful not to be seduced by false teachers. First um, Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit seeketh, uh, speaketh expressly that in the latter times there shall depart from the, uh, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. What's the source of these false truths? The devil and demons. Okay? And uh, they'll depart from the faith and they're giving heed to seducing spirits. Okay? We need to be careful and we need to stand on the word of God. Hey, if I'm wrong about anything, I'd rather be wrong taking the word of God literally, amen? If I get to heaven and I find out that I'm wrong about something, and God says, that wasn't literal, you should have taken that as a symbol. I, I'll, be, I'll be happy to admit that I was wrong. I would rather be wrong on that, standing that way, than another way. And uh, I just believe that God gives us the truth, and we're supposed to follow it, and study it, and apply it to our lives. And uh, then we see, thirdly, that this church was a consistent church. Revelation 2, 3 tells us that they had struggled on. Uh, verse 3 says, And thou and hast mourned to continue, and hast patience for my name's sake that has labored, and hast not fainted. And some churches never see salvations or baptisms or mission giving. And I praise the Lord that we are seeing some, th some of that happen here. But I hope that we strive for more. Amen? And uh, what... Uh, made the difference in this church was that they continued to do right. They didn't faint. They didn't quit. They kept doing. The word says, the Bible says here that they had borne. The word means to carry. Uh, they had carried on. Uh, not only that, but they had carried the gospel. They continued on and stuck to the word of God. And they had patience, endured through hardships. Uh, 
Uh, they, had, they labored uh, specifically for Christ's name's sake. Uh, and they hadn't fainted, hadn't grown feeble, and they just kept going. And we need to pray our church that we will continue until the end. Amen? Uh, don't assume just because we've been faithful for 166 years that we'll automatically remain faithful for the next 166 years. There's churches that close their door every day. And we need to make a purposeful commitment that uh, just as this church in Ephesus stuck to the truth, that, they, uh, that we stick to the truth as well. But there were some problems. Uh, the Bible says, nevertheless, there in verse number four. And that, in this we see number two, the regression of the church. Verse four says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. And Jesus said, nevertheless, you have been faithful, and I'm proud of you for that. However, I hate those words, you know. Uh, you know, sometimes the word but can be a, a great word because you can say this is bad, but, you know, that's great. But I hate it when it goes the other way. I hate it whenever my boss or somebody tells me, you know, I really love that you're doing this. You're doing great. However, well, I don't even want to know what's coming next, you know. And uh, that's what they're facing here. Jesus is saying, however, uh, what was Christ's admonition here? What was he talking about? First of all, uh, their, their passion had waned. Roman letter A there. Their passion had waned. And because thou hast left thy first love, they had lost their first love. Uh, they had failed to keep the fire burning for their love for Christ. And it's very possible to be busy in ministry and love ministry more than you love Christ. But be careful, boy. That's a dangerous place to be. And they had failed to keep the main thing the main thing. The old hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave thy, 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 the God I love. You know, it's a common thing. It's very easy to fall into this situation where you get your eyes on the wrong thing. You get your eyes on the numbers. You get your eyes on uh, growth. You get your eyes on other things and get your eyes off of Christ, the whole purpose of all of this. Jesus, with his eyes aflame, says, I have somewhat against this church. Boy, what... I hope I never hear those words, you know. Uh, there are expectations uh, uh, for this church, and they weren't fully meeting those expectations. You know, we have uh, expectations for our deacons and trustees and even our teachers in our church. We have expectations that we expect from them. And, but, you know, if you truly love God like you should, you don't need any expectations. Amen? You just do right when you love the Lord and keep that your first focus and main focus. I remember when I was getting married, my pastor used to say, uh, talk to us, me and Michelle, in and, and counseling and say, you know, it's like a, almost like a triangle. And say, if you keep your focus on Christ and walk with Christ and keep your relationship with Christ correct, and you, she keeps her relationship right with Christ and keeps her eyes on Christ and keeps doing, trying to be faithful to him, you'll eventually just, you'll, you'll be able to meet in the middle there. And you'll come together and you'll love each other like you're supposed to. You'll do what you're supposed to do for each other like you're supposed to. And uh, keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your first love first. And we don't serve out of duty or for praise. We serve out of love. And Mary and Martha were a, a good example of this. Uh, one was doing out of service sake. Maybe even a little bit of praise in there. I don't know. Uh, but the other 
was more interested in, in loving Christ and hearing what he had to say. Unless we recommit to the priority of loving Christ in our own hearts, our love will grow cold as well. And 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. And don't lose your passion for your ministry. But don't lose your passion for Christ either. And uh, secondly, we see the regression of the church. Their passion waned, and then their persuasion waned. In verse 5, it's the beginning of verse 5, it says, Remember therefore from whence thou, hast fa thou art fallen. They've, uh, they've fallen. They're in a fallen state. And because of this, their light was diminished. And far too many churches have been rendered nothing more than a meeting hall because they have lost their passion for Christ. And the church is about more than meeting together. It's about serving one another. It's about reaching out for the, to the souls that are lost. It's about being a lighthouse to our community. But when we lose our passion, we lose our persuasion with the community around us. We see the rest of the verse Five, we see the results. It says, Remember therefore what from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of this place, except thou repent. It's the light of Christ. It's the Christ, Christ is the light of this world. Uh, but it is placed upon a lampstand so that it can shine forth into this world. And we are the lampstand. The church is the lampstand. And the persuasion of the church is lost... When the, when the passion for Christ is lost, the love for Christ is lost. So we see the re regression of the church. And then number three, we see the reproof to the church. The reproof to the church. Looking at the three reproofs that this church receives will help us to, if we find ourselves having left our first love. First of all, it says, letter A, the first reproof is remember. Remember, verse 5, it says, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Remembering is the key to spiritual growth. Uh, Peter told his audience in 2 Peter 3, 1, and he said, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up the pure, your pure mind by way of remembrance. Peter was like he's stirring up in their mind all the things that they had learned, and he's making them remember all those things. And that's what we need to remind ourselves of those things too. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.6, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. And so remembrance is important for growth. The psalmist encourages us to remember. In Psalm 105.5 he says, Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Psalm 143.5, uh, the psalmist says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the works of thy hands. Remember when you loved the Bible and reading the Bible and soul winning and prayer and all of those things. If you've fallen from your first love, remember back to those days when the fire burned hot and seek to go back. But uh, we need to remember that's the first step. And secondly, the second step is repent. He says, remember, then he says, repent. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. And do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of this place, except thou repent. Repent means to change, have a change of mind. It speaks to both a change of a heart attitude and a change of direction. 
A change of a mind results in a change of redirection. And the result of, the, of this repentance is a return to the first works. A marriage would grow cold if the wife performed all the duties of the wife, but without any genuine love for the husband, that marriage would grow cold. So a church will grow cold if the members lose their first love for Christ, even though they're working for Christ. They, if they lose their first love, it's going to grow cold. The first love ought not to be your, uh, your preference for a style of worship or your preference for a Bible version or your preference for a position in the church or numerical growth or financial stability for the church or preference of a preacher. The first love needs to be Christ. Do you love Christ first and foremost? If not, we need to repent today. Love is a choice, not a feeling. So if we lost our first choice, we just needed to decide to do it. Amen? And they were standing for right. Verse 6 says this, but this thou hast. He says, I have ought against thee, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. They stood for right, but they forgot the most important thing. Works of love. A lot of people in our churches hate evil. But we're not, are not loving the Lord like they ought. Remember your first love. Repent. Move, uh, move away from it. And then let her see, receive. Receive what? The words of the Lord. Receive the reproof. Verse 7 says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. All of the saved will be refreshed. Not, to not receive this warning is to invite danger into your life, into your church. Verse 5 has a very ominous warning there. We read it earlier. Repent or else I will come unto you quickly and will remove the candlestick out of this place. The warning to this church is very applicable to us today. Our own light will be extinguished, will be uh, shown as fruitless. Our own identity will be lost if we stubbornly continue to abandon our love for Christ. This doesn't speak to a loss of salvation, but the benefits of salvation. How many today have lost their first love and struggle with the loss of their true identity in Christ? How many today, how many people go to biblical counseling and they need to be reminded what their true identity was because they got their identity from somewhere else? Because the light of the truth has been removed. There's many cause of many sorrows we see around us, even among Christians. And people's priorities change in their lives or they depend upon temporal things rather than Christ. Negativity reigns in their hearts. And they're negative all the time. They've lost their joy, and depression begins to rule. And they have lost their peace, and so their life is in turmoil. It all starts when they lost their first love. They get their eyes off of Christ. Stop walking with Christ. Stop loving Christ. Stop working for him out of love. All of us can slip into this state like the church of Ephesus. Are you living on a past reputation, a past love, a past faithfulness. You know, I used to be a deacon, or I used to be a Sunday school teacher. Well, you may not be able to do those things anymore. Then that's fine. That's okay. 
But what are you doing as a result for your, of your love for Christ today? What are you doing now? As I said, love is an action verb. It's something you do. We need to remember our first love. We need to repent if we've lost it and change our mind, change our position and go and go back to the first, as the Bible says here. And we need to receive the word of Christ and do the works that you did at the first. Whoever you are, doesn't matter where you are in this life or what stage of life you're in, you can be a witness for Christ. Amen? One of the best things to do with all those sales calls that you get I don't know about you, but the church gets plenty of them. One of the best things you could do is start witnessing to them. Amen? Hey, you could be a missionary in India, because that seems like where all of them are coming from. I don't know. But you could be a missionary to India without you ever leaving your living room. Amen? And who knows what Christ will do? Who knows what God will do if we just share the gospel everywhere we go? I've seen so many people get married and you see the love that they have one for another, and it feels like a fairy tale at that beginning. And the newlywed couple, couple runs off on their honeymoon, and they're full of life and love and hope. Somewhere along the line, far too many times, they lose the remembrance of that first love. and begin to grow apart, and the love grows cold and stale and stagnant. Things become routine and mechanical within the marriage. And far too often, the couple just call it quits. How many times have I seen this in the life of believers as well? People grow cold. They don't sing the songs of God like they used to. They don't sit open and ready to hear from God during the preaching. Oh, they come to church, but they're not really listening. They're not letting it with an open heart and ready to hear from God. If you're, coming, if you're here to hear from Pastor Wallace, you're in trouble. Amen? But what the Holy Spirit of God can do through his preacher is a totally different thing. Amen? I don't know how many times I've heard people say, you said such and such, I don't even remember saying it. Maybe I did, and I just phased it out. I don't know, my memory's not great anyways. But, but sometimes I think, I'm sure I didn't say that. I go back through my notes, and I like, go through But I didn't say it, but the Holy Spirit said it. And it was so real to them that it changed their lives. It changed a part of them. You know, come open and ready to hear from God's word. Say, well, I don't prefer this type of preacher or whatever. Hey, if God puts you in a place to hear somebody, then hear them. Because God doesn't have to use the man. God uses his Holy Spirit. Every time I hear someone preach, I try to come with an open heart and say, I can learn something from this man. I've, I've been to preaching conferences, and I hear a certain preacher is coming and uh, preaching, and they introduce him and go up there, and I think, I know this preacher. <laughs> I don't like this preacher. <laughs> you know, I, I have various reasons. You know, personalities conflict and stuff. I've, I've met some pastors that were rude. I've met some pastors who told dirty jokes. And I, and I, I was in the bathroom at a conference in northern Michigan, and I overheard two pastors talking, and one of them told a dirty joke. Came out of the bathroom, and they looked kind of sheepish seeing me there, and I went outside and sat down, and guess what? This pastor that told the dirty joke got up and preached. I thought, Lord, help us. But you know what? I determined in my heart, I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit speak, not that man. And I looked at the Word of God when he preached, and I listened to what he said, and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. 
God can use anyone, amen? He, he, hey, he used a donkey once. Okay? He can use me. Amen? Now, does that give an excuse for that pastor? No. Does that give an excuse for me to live whatever way I want to live? No, absolutely not. We need to be pure vessels of God. But we are not dependent upon the man. We're dependent upon God. Amen? Come prepared to hear from God. Pray, Lord, show me something that I need to hear today. I mean, people go through the motions of church attendance or even service in the church, but their hearts are no longer fully engaged. Soon enough, they begin to drop out some of the things that they once did. They stop coming to evening services. They stop coming to church, uh, serving in the church. Pretty soon, they stop being faithful to every Sunday morning. They just come sporadically, and before long, they just fall away. I've seen it over and over and over. They're not red hot. They give way to some, and it begins to cool off. Many times people say, I just need to take a break, and that's fine. Breaks are good. Just don't break away from church, amen? There's nothing wrong with taking a break. As long as you actively guard against this progression or degression, I guess I should say. Don't lose why we're doing this. Don't lose your first love, your love for Christ. Not out of duty, not out of pressure from the pastor, not out of need for, uh, because this is important, it is, but that's not the reason you do it. Not out of love for the pastor, and I hope you love me. Even if I stepped on your toes a little bit tonight, I stepped on my toes. Not the love for the church. We do it because of our first love. The love of Christ, the one who first loved us. Amen? Well, let's take some prayer requests tonight. We'll have some prayer time tonight.